We've got three readings this morning. Our first one uh, is in Proverbs and it's chapter 12, verses 11 to 27. So starting at verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. The wicked desire the stronghold of evildoers, but the root of the righteous endures. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labour. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Our next reading is again in Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. So verse 30. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense, Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Our final reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and we'll go from verse 6 to 13. So from verse 6, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Well, good morning, everyone. 
Lovely to see you here, uh, and well done. Uh, you may not be a sluggard, because uh, the sluggard would have slept in uh, this morning. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little while. This week uh, in Bankstown, a man, a dad, a husband won $100 million uh, on the Powerball. Uh, and you know, many of you, you, know, you, you, you don't gamble, I take it, uh, but... Uh, you might look at that and think, what would I do with $100 million? Um, they, um, when they made the phone call to this guy, he had to slap himself on the face to make sure that he wasn't dreaming. Uh, it, just, it was just so surreal. Um, and they asked him how he, what, what he was going to do now, now that he had $100 million. And he said, well, I suppose I'll get up and go to work in the morning. And his wife is like incredulous. She said, working... We're multi-millionaires now. We're going to buy a new house, set ourselves up for the future. And the news anchor made this comment. He said, this guy is one of the 0.1% of Australians who would go back to work after a $100 million win. Right? So his estimate is that one in a 1,000 people would go back to work after they've won $100 million. So here's the question for you to talk about with the person next to you. If you won $100 million, would you keep working? There's the question. Talk to the person next to you and get to know the person next to you, right? So if you don't have someone immediately next to you, get to know them because I'll ask a lot of questions today, right? So get to know the person next to you. Okay, you're ready for the vote. Let's, let's reveal our hearts here. Um, who, says, who says, yes, I would go back to work? Okay, so about a third of us. Who says, no, I wouldn't go back to work? Okay, a few of us. So, who didn't even bother voting here? Uh, all right, okay, so some of you felt like it was a trap, uh, and there was a little bit of a trap in the question, I think. Um, but I'm intrigued. I, more than the yes or no, I want to dig down to why. Uh, I'd love to know what's going on uh, in our hearts. Um, you know, those who said yes, why would you go back to work? Because you don't have to, so why would you do it? Those who said no, well, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, you know, why did you say no? All right, so we'll think about that uh, as we go through. Today we're hearing God's wisdom on work. And it's so great that our God who made us has shared his will for our lives. Uh, so we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about successfully navigating life. That's a good definition of wisdom, successfully navigating life. And Proverbs is successfully navigating life as, as creatures and children of God. And the focus this morning is on work uh, and our work lives. You have 168 hours every week, and work occupies a big chunk of that for many of us. Um, and God has a lot to say about those hours when you're working. 
But God also has a lot to say about those hours when you're not working, uh, when you're doing other things. And I want to ask you, are you ready to have your mind and your life shaped by God and his will this morning? Are you ready for that? Amen. Amen. All right. Are you ready for that? You can say amen. Are you ready for that? Amen. You should all be ready. That's what we're here for. Right. So let's get to work. I'm not going to spoon feed you. Uh, I'm going to get you working uh, with me uh, and wrestling with these things. So let me throw up a whole lot of verses and what do they teach us about work, right? So lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things and the work of their hands brings them reward. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labour. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Quick word to the person next to you. How would you kind of summarise some of the big ideas? What are some of the big ideas there? Have a quick chat to the person next to you. Okay, so you got any reflections? I know I haven't given you a lot of time, but our collective wisdom and ideas might be very valuable. So any, any thoughts, kind of key ideas that shine out to you? You reap what you sow. Okay, yeah, so what you put in is quite likely what you're going to, the fruit that you're going to get down the track, yeah? Other thoughts? You quoted a proverb to kind of uh, explain proverbs. Uh, isn't it, proverbs are interesting, aren't they? Because what they do is they require you to think, and sometimes they don't yield easy answers because they, they, they're perplexing, but they're good for you because they give you wisdom uh, if you reflect on these things. Other, other thoughts out there? No, <laughs> there you go, another proverb. No such thing as a free lunch. Uh, all right, let me give you some, uh, a bit of my summary. Honest, hard, persistent work will bring success. Uh, I, I reckon that's a key idea that you see going through Proverbs. Now, one of the things you've got to realise is that Proverbs is just describing what you see. You look out and generally speaking, that's the case. Now, I know not in, it's not in every instance, but generally speaking... Honest, hard, persistent work will bring success. It will bring success in leadership, like Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule. It will bring success financially. Proverbs 10, uh, diligent hands bring wealth. And notice there's a difference between honest work and chasing fantasies, uh, which is so much of our society, isn't it? Chasing the big lotto win. Or some get-rich-quick scheme. 
Uh, so often the road to success or the quick road to success brings people undone. Uh, and actually, what does it lead to? Those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Those who have chase fantasies, they have no sense. Uh, it's not a good outcome. Um, did you know, even with things like Lotto and Powerball, you know this one this week, I don't know whether this stat- statistic is right, but this is what I read. Your chances of winning the Powerball last Thursday night is 1 in 134 million. Now, that, the odds are low, right? Uh, so not much chance of getting the big one. This guy in Western Sydney, that was, that was an incredible win for him, big payout. And even those who win big, right, even those 0.000000, however many, zero, one people who win, um, they get the big payout and they often squander their wealth so quickly. Uh, and it's so tragic. Let me tell you three stories. David Lee Edwards, $41 million he won back in 2001. It took just five years for his fortune to have dwindled to nothing and he had zero. He was bankrupt and he and his wife moved into a storage shed. Uh, there you go. Michael Carroll from England. Um, when you look at him, you, kinda, you, you can kind of guess where it's heading, can't you? But anyway, I, won't make, I shouldn't be judgmental, should I? But £10 million he won in the English lottery about 20 years ago. 12 years after his win, he was bankrupt and on government benefits. Evelyn Adams, she won twice within a four-year period. You just wonder how much she was investing uh, in the lotto. But twice she won a multi-million dollar lotto win in the space of four years, but within 15 years, her bank account was empty and she was living in a caravan in a trailer park in the United States. Um, now, that doesn't always end like that, but it, it is interesting, isn't it? You, you think the big payout is the road to success, but often for those who get it, their lives are miserable down the track. Generally speaking, in God's world, honest Hard, persistent work is what will bring success. And that's because work is a good thing. We were created by God to work. Um, God himself is a worker. And he sets this pattern, even as he created the world, six days work, one day rest. And then he creates us in his image with the same pattern, to be workers to be fruitful, to do good, six days work, one day rest. Uh, That's the pattern God set up for us. Work is hard. We're now in a fallen world that's been frustrated. uh, And so there's frustrations in work. It is hard, but it is still good. And not only were we created to work in the beginning... But God has saved us to do good works. Right, so we're going a little bit out of Proverbs at this point, but just have a look at this. Have a look at these verses that talk to us Christians who have been saved by Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's handiwork. We Christians who trust in Jesus are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, So you've got to get the relationship between salvation and good works right. 
So often people make the mistake that we're saved by doing good works, but that is absolutely not the case. We're saved through what Jesus has done for us, right? So we're saved by faith in Jesus, not what we do, but don't forget this, we were saved to do good works, and God has good things that he had prepared in advance for us to do, and as those who have been saved by Jesus, we need to step into those things uh, and joyfully, uh, joyfully do those good works. Titus chapter 2, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. Jesus wants a people who don't just begrudgingly do good works. He wants us to eagerly step in to good works. Titus 3, I want to stress these things so that you, those who have devoted themselves, who have trusted to God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And have a look at that last verse from 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we were saved by Jesus, he commissioned us to take part in his work, his work of salvation, his work of making disciples, growing disciples. Jesus calls each one of us to not only be saved, but to take our part in his work uh, and to give ourselves fully to it. And it's a work where the impact will last into eternity as people come to Christ and grow in him and remain in him till that last day. And I just want to ask you, brothers and sisters, uh, I want to call you to hard, honest, persistent work in all facets of your life, but I also want to call on you to hard, persistent, honest, joyful service of Jesus in his work. Uh, will you give yourselves fully to this work of the Lord? It is a good thing with eternal fruit. Now, come back to Proverbs. One of the ways Proverbs un unpacks the theme of work is through two characters. Uh, and the first one is a very positive character, the wife of noble character. Uh, and it's like the whole of Proverbs sets up wisdom, and then when you get to chapter 31, you see wisdom in action. Wisdom epitomized in this beautiful woman. Um, and, and that's how the book of Proverbs ends, kind of showing us a snapshot of wisdom embodied in this woman. Proverbs 31. So we're going to look at this woman in three weeks' time. So I don't want to steal all the thunder from three weeks' time. It'll be so encouraging to see that. But Proverbs 31, verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. See, she epitomizes honest, hard, persistent work, and she does it joyfully, energetically, cheerfully. Verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Verse 31, honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her work bring her praise at the city gates. See, this woman, her hard work brings blessing to others. And as you read that chapter, it brings blessing to her husband, 
to her children, but also to her wider community. And so she draws praise and honour from her family and from the wider community. This woman is an incredible blessing. And one of the important things we see in this wife of noble character is that some of her work is paid, much of her work is unpaid. Uh, So she buys and sells things, she makes a profit, she's an investor, Um, but her primary focus is on her family, the unpaid work of running a household, caring for children. Um, So her work is both paid and unpaid, but all her work is valuable and fruitful. See, our society kind of values work according to how much you earn for it. Uh, but the Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't speak in those sort of terms. This woman shows that the value of her work is what, what it contributes to others. That's what makes work valuable. It's the good that you bring to others, the blessing that comes. And this is incredibly godly, the way this woman works. And I mean that in the, in the tightest sense of the word godly. God is a worker. And God doesn't work for money. Right? Right? Throughout the Bible, God is at work. He, 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 he models what it is to be a worker, but he doesn't need any money. All wealth is his already. God works to bless. And he calls on us as his children to do the same. Jesus comes into our world. He doesn't do it for money. He will give up riches to come and work amongst us, even to become poor and endure death on the cross. Um, So he was rich already. And so why Jesus works, it's an overflow of his big, generous heart, his love, his desire to bless and to save. And I just want to say, I want to comment about our own church community. We here are incredibly blessed by an army of hardworking volunteers. And I just want to say thank you so much for the blessing you all bring to us every week. Now, some of us here in church are paid, uh, and thank you for paying me. Uh, It would be hard to do the amount of work that I do unless I was set aside to financially be supported in this work. Um, And so, yes, some of us here, um, around 12 of us, right, either full-time or part-time, are being paid for the work we do. We've heard of two of them this morning, our ministry apprentices. Um, And I just want to say, like Josh and Brad... We need to keep raising up ministry apprentices because there is a desperate shortage of godly, gifted gospel workers in Australia today, uh, let alone throughout the world. And so we, what a great investment. We get them serving and ministering amongst us for a couple of years and then we send them off and we bless the wider people of God um, So we have around 12 people who are paid for their work, and yet, according to Colin, uh, we have around 400 people who volunteer their time in a whole bunch of ways to bless us, 
without being paid. And they do bless us, right? Um, they enhance our lives so beautifully. I've just, I have three of them looking back at me you know, at the moment uh, in, in the desk up there, and we had them singing to us uh, just before. But, but so many ways behind the scenes that our, lo- our church life is strengthened and enriched by the contribution of people who volunteer their time to make us, uh, to help us fulfill the mission Jesus has given us to make and grow disciples. And if you're part of our church family, but not yet part of this volunteer army, we would love you to find a way to serve. Right? What's holding you back? Come on, people, step up. We'd love you to join us, or, or you might be part of that 400, but you think, oh, I only do a couple of hours once every three months. Oh, I could actually step it up. Uh, either way, Colin here and Corinne, or you know, you can talk to me if you want to, but we'd love to talk to you because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that is just as true today as it was when Jesus spoke those words. You know, there's sometimes I'll look around and I'll notice things in church. I don't always notice things, but sometimes I, you know, I'll go into the kitchen on a Sunday morning and there is Andrew and Noreen again. Uh, and it's not like they say, we don't want anyone in the kitchen, it's our kitchen. Uh, that's not their attitude. It's just like they see a need, they've stepped into it, but boy, they would love others to join in. I was, I was here the other day on a Saturday morning and there is Cell. I saw Cell. Anyway, he, he doesn't want to be embarrassed, right? But I saw Cell there on his own cleaning. I thought, good on him. But gee, how much more encouraging is it when someone's there with you in the work. Uh, it'd be just beautiful to have a team of guys here on a Saturday morning, guys and girls on a Saturday morning. Uh, anyway, there's a whole bunch of ways I could point it out, but the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Jesus calls on every one of his followers to be engaged in this great commission, this work that will bear fruit into eternity. Uh, Love to talk to you more. So back to Proverbs. The wife of noble character epitomizes the blessing of honest, hard, persistent work in both a paid and an unpaid capacity. Now, our second character does the opposite. Who's the second character? The sluggard, uh, otherwise known as the sloth. Uh, Now, when I talk about a slug or a sluggard, what comes to mind? A, a slimy little shellless snail. Like this one's from the movie Flushed Away. Um, but th- that, does that come to mind when you think about a sluggard or a slug? What about when I talk about a sloth? What comes to mind? I don't even know how to describe a sloth. I think of a monkey type bear that just chilled out like a South American koala, but you know, just hanging out of the tree. Um, here's a sloth from the movie Zootopia. And it's such a funny scene because uh, Judy Rabbit is just wanting to get things done really quickly and she steps into this government department that's run by sloths. And it's just so much like some government departments where you just, you just go in there and everything just is in slow motion and it, it's hilarious and excruciating 
Uh, it's, a great, it's a great scene. Even if you haven't watched the movie, just watch that scene and by the end you will be as exasperated as Judy Rabbit. Um, now, here's the... Fascinating. I learned so much preparing sermons for you. And I learned a lot this week. Uh, I learned a lot about the sluggard. Did you know 500 years ago, these two words, sluggard and sloth, became very much part of the English language? Right? They were words that existed already, but they became popularised through the first English Bibles, the Geneva Bible and then the, um, the King James Version of the Bible. And it was because they chose those words to describe this man in the book of Proverbs, the sluggard or the sloth. Um, and then, over a hundred years or so later, the English language then borrowed those words to talk about the slimy, shellless snail and the monkey bear, you know, mammal that hangs out, in, you know, in the tree lazily. But, but, but the word was there in the Bible and describing this man in Proverbs, Proverbs before it was then borrowed to talk about the slug. You, know, the, anyway, you, you get the idea? I'm not very good at explaining it, but anyway, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and it just, it just reminds us how much the Bible has influenced our language and culture in a profound way. Now, the NIV has chosen not to use the word sloth. It, it exclusively uses the word sluggard. So have a look. Have a look at these verses and chat to the person next to you. You might even discuss the question, what does a sluggard look like today? Have a look at the verses, have a reflection on them, and then what do you think a sluggard might look like today? Okay, I'd love to hear some of your feedback. What is a sluggard? What is it? What are the characteristics of the sluggard? What do they look like? Let's, let's hear some answers. Sorry? Lazy? Yeah, lazy. Yeah, absolutely. Minimalist? Yeah, good one. A coward. Okay. Um, you're talking about the lion outside? Yeah. A, a bit of a catastrophization there, or, or I wonder whether it's just excuses. Uh, there's always an excuse not to do hard things, yeah, and so it can become cowardly. Yep. Procrastinator. Procrastinator. Yeah, yeah. Pu- constantly putting things off, sleeping in, choosing that option. Yeah, Lois. Okay. Good point. Okay, so what we've got to be... So Lois said, someone who suffers from anxiety and possible mental health disorders... I've got a psychologist shaking his head saying, wow, we really set it up here. 
Bob, what are, you, what are your thoughts there? The capacity to function may be disturbed by that anxiety. Yep. And they may want to, but they're so distressed in their situation yep. that they can't function. Okay. All right. Now, here's a good point, and, and that is what Proverbs is doing, it's describing the world we live in, um, and it's doing it in a way that is very different from how our world will describe these things. And we're acutely aware of mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, and so on, which are real. And we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to kind of minimalise the impact of those things. We want to show compassion uh, to people in those situations. And I I, th- I think as we read the Bible, the primary focus needs to be on ourselves, not looking at others and making judgments about others. Um, but, uh, but Bob, can I, can, can I just try to summarise? Just give us a summary of what, you are, what you're saying again. I just want to repeat it. Anxious, depressed people sometimes want to function. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so longing to be different uh, and, and feeling that frustration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Yep. So this is capturing someone who doesn't, who doesn't care. Yeah. And, and Jane. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so the person with, with mental health. Yeah. But we do know the person who does nothing and feels like they're wise at the armchair critic. Yeah, is, is the sluggard, isn't it? Yeah, and Jenny? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was it a song? A celebrating? I'm just going to do nothing today, and I don't really care. Okay. Uh, so the sluggard sleeps in and constantly comes up with a reason to choose that option. Not finishing what they start, they bury their hand in the dish and then think, "I couldn't even be bothered bringing it to me." So there's something humorous. Right. So there's a bit of exaggeration probably going on here. Uh, there's always an excuse, armchair critics. Um, now, what does the sluggard look like today? What do you reckon? So sleeping in is, you know, has endured the test of time, hasn't it? Uh, they still got people who choose that option way too easily today. Other thoughts? <laughs> teenagers. Blanket. Blanket statement about teenagers. So over here, I, there is... There is something that we do see as parents in, in, our, in our kids, and we do want to encourage them to be productive. I heard someone say keyboard warrior. Yeah. And so the person who has kind of too much time on their hands, and, and they just spend a lot of time unproductively on social media or just, just that sniping uh, on social media... Computer games is another real risk. I think you can feel productive because I killed the baddie ten times, but is there really anything uh, 
positive, achieved, um, watching too much telly, um, all those things, I want to say, they're okay in moderation, right? sleeping, right? it's a good thing, but just when, when too much of it can become unproductive, like the sluggard. And so rather than being a blessing to others, we become a pain and a burden to others. And that's what we're wanting to try to avoid. What's life like for the sluggard? Let me show you some other verses. Um, Constant disappointment. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The cravings of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Sluggards don't plough in season, so at harvest time they look, but they find nothing. What a disappointing life where you constantly got high hopes, but because you're not doing anything, you don't actually see any outcome. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Why is the way of the sluggard blocked with thorns? See, this is... This is what Proverbs does. It invites you. Why is that? I think I thought two answers. I thought one is perception. Uh, you know, just like there might be a lion outside, it, it, so they can catastrophize things. The sluggard, but I think there's also probably a reality, and that is the sluggard hasn't been out there working to clear the path. So now the whole path is covered in thorns, and it is difficult to get out. And the path is difficult because it hasn't been maintained. Where are we up to? Uh, what is life like for the sluggard? Let, let, let me uh, have a look. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorn had come up everywhere. Ground was covered in weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied this to my heart and I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Um, So for the sluggard, life is constant frustration, constant disappointment, hunger and poverty. Now who wants that sort of life? But what Proverbs or what God is warning us is if we make those choices again and again, that, that's where it ends up. Disappointment, poverty, hunger, frustration. And the impact on others, Proverbs 10, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. You know, you, know, you stand by a fire and smoke gets in your eyes. And it's, it's painful and irritating, isn't it? You can kind of cope with it for a little while, but after a while you just move around the other side of the fire. If you send a sluggard to do a job, it, it's like you're just inviting smoke to be blowing in your eye. Painful, irritating, because you'll live to regret it. The job won't get done the way you want it to get done. Proverbs 18. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. So the honest, diligent, hard-working person is a blessing to others. The sluggard causes irritation and even pain to others. So in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul doesn't use the word sluggard, 
But he does command us urgently to repent of being unproductive. Look at the last paragraph. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. See, in, their, in, the, in, in the time they have on their hands, rather than being productive, they're actually being disruptive. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Can you see that there's an urgent command there from Paul? If that's where you are heading or that's the kind of the stuckness you have in life where you're idle and unproductive, do something about it. Um, and I do want to say it won't necessarily be easy to do something about it um, because there can be a stuckness. And we as a church, we try to help each other get out of the stuckness. We run, we've, we've been running uh, the recovery program uh, and that helps kind of unsticking some of these habits and patterns we might get ourselves into. Um, but I, I want to give you three things that you can do straight away if you're feeling like, yeah, I have got stuck in an unproductive kind of idle lifestyle or habits or whatever. Three things. One, resolve to change. And that is make a decision. I can't continue living this way. Make that resolution in your heart. Pray to God and ask for his help. And thirdly, share it with a friend who you know and have confidence that they might be able to help you step forward. There are three things that you can do today to, to start to break some of those habits that are actually causing you to be a frustration to others rather than a blessing to others. All right. Um, I'd love to have time for questions, but I think I am, uh, I'm, I'm running out of time. So... Talk to me afterwards if you uh, have any questions. So come back to where we began. If you won $100 million, would you keep working? And there, I think there's a kind of a, a right answer to this one. Often I put up things and there's no right or wrong answer. I think the answer is yes, but I do want to qualify it. Right? I do want to qualify it. The answer is yes because you were created to work and you have been saved by Jesus to do good work. Um, so you win $100 million, and you do get a certain freedom. You might choose, I'm going to keep working, but I'm not going back to where I was working, uh, because I can now choose to devote my energies in a way that is going to be more beneficial to others than the job I've been in. Right, so there's a freedom that comes with money. Uh, you can actually choose not to work for money and devote your life to doing good. You can devote your life to doing the work of the Lord. Uh, what a blessing of making and growing disciples. But, if you, but, but what I want to say is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you won't stop working. Um, Jesus calls on you to joyfully, willingly devote yourselves to doing good. 
in particular to commit to his great work of making and growing disciples. Uh, And I'd love us to continue to talk about these things over morning tea. Uh, uh, But I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to introduce you to a song. So uh, wait for that. But let me pray. God, our Father, we want to thank you so much for your work in our world and in our lives, for creating us in your image to do good work. Father, we thank you for your Son, that he willingly, joyfully took on your work of salvation, that he endured the cross for us. Father, we're sorry when we become self-centered and lazy, when we fail to honor you, when we fail to be a blessing to others. Please forgive us and change us. Strengthen us to put aside laziness and distraction. Help us devote ourselves to honest persistent, hard work. And please grant us success in this so that we might honour you and so that we might be a blessing to others. And we pray in particular that you might free us to be committed to your great work of salvation, making disciples. Use us and this church in your eternal work that will last forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to introduce you to a song um, that I discovered this week. You didn't know? Did you know this? No. Um, The famous hymn writer, Isaac Watts, um, he wrote the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, about 300 years ago, but he also wrote a song called The Sluggard, and I discovered this uh, this week, and so let me me sing it to you. I'll use the tune of um, Be Thou My Vision, Uh, and I've cut a couple of verses out of the song. Listen, listen to the song. Tis the voice of the sluggard, I heard him complain. You have waked me too soon, I must slumber again. As the door on its hinges, so he on his bed turns his side and his shoulders and his heavy head. A little more sleep and a little more slumber. Thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number. And when he gets up, he sits folding his hands or walks about sauntering or trifling. He stands, I'm not as good as Anne at singing, uh, said, I then to my heart, here's a lesson for me. This man's but a picture of what I might be. But thanks to my friends for their care in my breeding, who taught me betimes to love working and reading. So there it is. Let's stand and sing the sluggard. No, no, we're not going <laughs> to sing it. Interesting though, isn't it? He, which song has endured the test of time? When I survey the wondrous cross, the sluggard has gone out of favour. But anyway, there you go. Thanks, Anne. <laughs>